Welcome to A Pint with Shawnee B coming to you on a sunny summer's day in Dublin. I have a American singer-songwriter who's about to be the next big thing on my show today. He's recently moved to Ireland where he's exploring all the wonders of music in our great country. From New Jersey originally, his name is Jared Dillon. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to be here. We have a mutual friend in Miami where I think you went to college. Yeah, I studied in Miami for four years. Yeah, uh, Kevin, right? Kevin Sharpley, who yeah. was a guest on a fight with Shawnee B previously. You can scroll back for that. But we're here today to talk about Jared, who is a real up-and-coming... Uh, how would you describe your music? I read it was Britpop, 80s-driven vocals. Oh, God. Yeah, so that's actually that's where I started. The way to describe my music now is just pop. pop because right. today, pop could mean anything. And my background is anything from classical all the way up to modern day yeah. contemporary music so pop is really me taking all of that influence from every genre yeah. every single influence and making all that work together we're going to hear uh, some of jared's music today we're going to intersperse it throughout the podcast it's all coming from his new album which is being released in the next few weeks so yeah. you're from New Jersey. Who, who are your parents and what was what, what sort of background did you have? Yeah, so I grew up in a suburb of Manhattan in Jersey. And my, you know, my dad's an attorney. My mom's, uh, she's a CPA. She works in pharmaceuticals, though. Okay. And Were they musical? Not at all. No, not even okay. like a little bit. My dad is an amazing visual artist, though. Painter. He does a lot of handiwork and stuff. His parents, growing up on the tail end of the depression, the Great mm. Depression, and they were like, you could be a lawyer, a doctor, or an accountant. And so... Anything that makes a lot of money. Yeah, anything <laughs> that is stable and yeah. makes money. And he wanted to be a graphic designer, but he couldn't. And he literally went through pre-med, accounting, really? and then was like, I hate both of these. <laughs> went to law school, had a year left, and was like, I'm fucking done. I can't do I'm law school. I'm out of yeah. here. And he had met my mom while he was in law school. And she's like, you're finishing law school. Then he's like, fine, but I don't want to be a lawyer. I'm going to go into politics. If you're in the politics, I'm not marrying you. I don't want to be married to a politician. You have to choose. I'm not giving you an ultimatum, but you have to choose. <laughs> he's like, okay, I'll marry you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> have you got siblings? Yeah, I've got a younger sister. Okay. And so she's not musical at all either. And what was your upbringing like in Jersey? So this would have been, okay. you were brought up in the sort of 90s because you're 23. Yeah, I was born in 94. I'm 23. Right, okay. Yeah. But... Uh, a lot has happened for one so young. I'm sure we're going to get the story. <laughs> it's been an intense training process, yeah. you know? I feel like this is really the beginning. Where we're at right now, I feel like I've just completed my training. And I'm ready to take the reins and take control and really do what I meant to do. We'll come back to that because I've, I've been, in the research I've done of you, I've picked up a lot of maturity uh, and, and also a recognition or an understanding that how fickle fame can be and how you got to watch yourself and keep yourself grounded and all that stuff, probably through your parents and the people. Yeah, we'll you. definitely come back to that because um, I would love to talk about it. I think that's one of the most valuable things I have yeah. to share with yeah. any artist or any yeah. person who's aspiring towards fame, because fame is just a tool. So will we start with when you got sick in school? Was that yeah, it? so I was about 15. It was my second year of high school. You know, in a suburb of New Jersey, there's not much to do. So what we would do is we would hop on the train tracks and flatten coins on the train tracks. We do and, that here in Ireland? Yeah. And follow the train all the way up to Walmart. 
and there was a candy shop up there we'd get candy and walk back and so in order to get onto the tracks you'd have to walk through the woods a bit so i got bit by a tick and i got lyme disease that's where i think i got it at least it's nobody knows what it is if it's bacterial if it's viral it could be a little bit of both who mm. who knows because it mutates every year like the flu what it does is it attacks your immune system it attacks your joints mm-hmm. it makes you very tired and i had it undiagnosed for over a year so it started attacking my liver yeah it so, can be fatal right oh yeah if it, like i've had friends who yeah, went undiagnosed for several years that are like really messed up because of it five ten years you could die yeah. Depends on the person, obviously. And so the symptoms were you were a bright kid in school, but you were starting to f- fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And you were... I, I actually did really well in school. My parents always pushed me to do very well in school. And I was like, I hate school. I would leave my books at school on purpose so I wouldn't have to do my homework. Mm-hmm. And so I would always go through the motions with my parents like, did you bring this book home today? Oh, let me check. And I know I don't have it. Yeah. And I'm like, hold on, let me check again. Because, you know, and I would... And so one day they were yelling at me, both of them yelling at me. I was had to be eighth grade, 13 years old. Mm. They're yelling at me about, they're like, get in the car. We're going to school. You're picking up your books. And I was like, oh, wait, I forgot to hand you this. They had given me a gifted and talented like uh, thing for smart kids. Like it was just Put sitting on, on my desk that morning. <laughs> and it was in my backpack for like a week. I completely forgot about okay. it. And I gave them... This thing, they're like, yeah, we want you to take your standardized testing early. So I took my SATs like Mm. three years in advance because, yeah. And I actually scored pretty well on them when I was like very young. I was always that kid who hated trying hard, but I did well enough. But I just felt, I got, yeah, I was very lucky because my parents pushed me at every step of the way. I was a bit like that. I I did the bare minimum, barely. I mean, I call myself a straight C student. (laughs) Yeah. And I would be like aced it. C's, that's passing. Are you kidding me? Because it's like, I found such a little point in regurgitating information like that. It's a learning exercise. Yeah, it it really is. It really is. And you know what? Like, I really appreciate the memory that I have right now because I... But it was, so it was, you you had a happy childhood though. Oh, I had an amazing childhood. My childhood was one of the best. As high the highs were, that's how low the lows were. And so getting sick really messed up my life. So you've gone from this kind of bright guy who was doing his stuff and then this thing hit and so you were getting everyone's going what the hell the wheels are falling off yeah i was sleeping for 20 hours a day and you know i was running varsity track as a freshman i was one of the fastest kids in the town and i was getting slower and slower every race working out harder and harder getting slower and slower did you know something was wrong with you I knew something was wrong, but I had no clue what. A year later, I had an episode in the parking lot of, uh, like, I I was sick. It was a Sunday. All the doctor's offices were closed. My entire family loads in the car. We're like, we got to find you a minute clinic, some like something that's open today. You know what CVS is. You've lived in the States. So we're in the parking lot of a CVS. And hardly the greatest doctors in the world. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Which is partially why it was undiagnosed for someone. Throw up. <laughs> yeah, I throw up all over the parking lot oh of this CVS. And the, so we finally get in and they like take my blood test or whatever. And they I test positive for Epstein-Barr, which is mono. Right. And so they stopped testing me for everything else. And that would happen time and time again. And I was specifically saying, test me for Lyme disease. Because I had a friend who was telling me, so you, you might have Lyme disease. Wow. You should probably get tested. So I was specifically asking for it. And every time it would come back, they're like, you have mono. I'm like, I don't so have mono. mono. 
Mono is the kissing disease. Right, okay. You just get it from swap and spit or something. Yeah, yeah. And so I finally went to a specialist and found out what it was. And they put me on antibiotics for so long, just completely obliterated my immune system. And I was just sick with a sinus infection or a cold or just oh, whatever. Right. Anything that would come, I would come into contact with would okay. get me sick for, you know, the next seven years. Did it get you down? Oh, of course. I thought I was never going to be healthy again. So every other month for years, I was on antibiotics fighting some kind of bacterial infection. Mm. Finally, I was like, you know what? I'm not taking antibiotics anymore. I'm just going to fight this. I'm going to build up my immune system naturally. Mm. And I just let my body fight it. And I was really sick for a really long time. Pretty depressed about it. And it kind of made me the person that I am today. Because you really need to get really down. And you really need to look at the world. And you need to look at yourself. You just need to not be comfortable in order to change. change, Yes. What's interesting looking at you now probably is that you got all of this real early for a kid. That's why a lot of this feels like, in hindsight, I'm appreciative for everything I have, even the bad stuff, because everything, the way it's all been just lining up chronologically it just makes so much sense like even being in ireland right now it's like the universe was screaming at me and i wouldn't be the person that i am today without all these experiences and it's funny because the lyme disease is the reason i got in the music because i couldn't do anything else i had so much to say and so much feelings that i was like i'll put it in a song i started writing music so you're basically confined to barracks you were stuck in, in at home with this and you started writing yeah were you able to play the guitar? Were you musical by that stage? Uh, I was interested. I had a guitar. I got my first guitar when I was 10 years old. Mm. I never really picked it up. I wasn't really passionate about right. it until I turned 15. And I taught myself how to play the chords and stuff. And yeah. really just to sing and write to that. I got some guitar lessons along the way. I got some vocal lessons mm. just to try and get some performance under my belt. Yeah. I actually started studying at the University of Miami where I later went on to go to university there. But I did a couple summer programs just to see if I could hang with actual musicians. Because I started, these kids have been doing it since they were five years old, Mm. eight years old. Mm. And I started when I was 15. The entire time I was in school, even though I got accepted and I I was top of my class in school Mm. because I cared about it. I think more than other people because I had something to prove. Because I was like, I don't deserve to be here. Mm. I need to work harder than these kids. So I, every assignment, my classmates, I feel like they would just phone it in. And I would painstakingly slave over every lyric. And a lot of the music that I have coming out now, I conceptualized or actually created while I was in school. None of my songs, you'll never hear a single song that does not have a silver lining. Um, a lot of the songs I've listened to have, uh, you know, you, you talk about hurt and betrayal, and but there's a yeah, there is always a moving on, mm-hmm. drawing a line under things. Yeah, and it's also like I I, I want to be very vulnerable in the music, mm. but in a cheeky way because like the sarcasm is my way of protecting yeah. myself. And it's, what were your when you were growing up and writing? What were the sort of influences? Well, you mentioned that Brit pop mm. right off the bat, and that's why I was like, that's funny because yeah. I taught myself to sing singing the kooks and the arctic monkeys yeah so for the first couple years i was singing with an english accent because i picked it up naturally it was almost easier for me to sing with an english accent 
the first two years I was at university, they were training me not to sing like that, which right. was funny. You can do both now? Yeah, I break it out when it when So it yeah, we had Oasis me. and Pulp and Blur and Kasabian and Massive Attack and Radiohead. It was also the death of the record industry. Well, yeah. These were the bands that were the, the, the last album bands. Yeah, I like to think of it as a renaissance. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. So, like, what, was the, so you, what was the next step so that you cured the Lyme disease? Yeah, well, so it's interesting because this, my next step was really college. Like you said, it's the the industry is, was going through this massive collapse, basically. Yeah, collapse, this rebirth, this mm. just massive change because yeah. technology, you know. And we talked about this before we started recording, but uh, a lot of kids, their parents kind of push them into these uh, directions. And my dad has been managing me from a very young age, oh, okay, like right. even before I was in music. He's always been like. I was going to be an architect, you know, mm-hmm. and he was like, okay, well, if you're interested in architecture, this is what you look at. There's like, this seven is, years right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so uh, he said, if you want to uh, do music, you have to get a business degree. Right. Okay. So I went to school and in four years, I got a bachelor's in music and a minor in business administration, communications with an advertising focus mm-hmm. and songwriting. Wow. I was also able to take graphic design and photography and like all these classes that I was just interested in because I basically, the University of Miami was amazing in the respect that they let me basically make my own curriculum. Because of that, I started a record label with my father when I started school. And I was creating all the content, all the artwork, all the music videos. I taught myself how to animate. So I was making lyric videos and all this stuff, but he said once if you want to be a musician you have to know business and the one the most important thing that business taught me learning the business taught me was that fame is a tool fame is basically a familiarity campaign you're driving an audience and if you can utilize that tool it doesn't matter if you're the famous person if you have access to a famous person that's how you're going to make money because that's how you're going to get people to hear you I mean, so, my business is advertising. Sure. And so, you know, we always talk about the most important thing is to get your brand more top of mind than your competitors. So if you're out working on Ford cars, you've got to make sure your advertising stands out more than GM or all the other guys. And is when people think about cars, they think about this. So when people think right. about up-and-coming pop artists, there's a whole range of them, and you need to be, you know, one of them. Top of mind. As, yeah. as you know. Your dad, so, was a cool guy, as we said, but it's you, you were lucky to have a guy who was, because I don't hear this often, normally people on my show rebel against yeah. parent or school or whatever. Yeah, I'm very you lucky. Were very, you, you, so tell me a little bit about, just for other dads listening, mm-hmm. about the father-son dynamic that just made that work so well, because clearly you trusted him from yeah, the very well, like, well, I get yelled at a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of discipline. Uh, I don't know. It's really like, it's hard for me to put in the words because I feel like you're a result of your experiences. It's the perfect storm where he was the right mentor for me and I was the right student. And we got very, very lucky in his knowledge and my ability and my uh, willing to learn and my willing to try and my passion for both of our passion Mm. for what we, the potential that we saw. 
I was mean, your mom in the background rolling her eyes, or was she also very supportive? <laughs> oh my! So my mom is not really an artist. Her claim to fame was a child's poem she wrote back in the day okay. called "Monster in the Mailbox," okay. and we still give her shit for it today. <laughs> <laughs> we might even have a link to that on the. Uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh God, we should put it up somewhere. Let's let's, uh, let's start. Let's introduce one of your songs. So what we're going to do today is we're going to play excerpts of. Uh, tracks from um, Jared's new album which is coming out very shortly and rather than play the whole track so that you have to go and buy the EP we're going to play a little excerpt from it so let's start with the first one that you have first sure. explain the motivation and the thought behind the song it's basically a summation of everything I was going through emotionally while I was studying and while I was in school it's a concept album where it's this idea that evolves over the period of four songs. And that's why I'm not calling it an EP. I'm calling it an album because these songs will never be released again. They are being released with a short film, an animated short film right. that's going to correlate. Each song has like a small vignette that mm-hmm. all together make, tells this story where I am a super villain that uh, you follow me along this journey. And the first song that introduces the EP is called Can't Stop which is really just a song about seizing the day because this is a podcast and I could get a little deeper on yeah, it. Yeah, of course. My personal belief is just by being here, I really appreciate science and I appreciate history. And I believe in the idea of this butterfly effect where everything you do affects everything around you. By that logic, you don't have a choice but to change the world. Just by being here, you are changing the world. It pulls into question the idea of free will. And so I believe that your free will is your ability to choose not to fight who you are meant to be and to follow this path. And that's really, you you mentioned how lucky I've been in my life and I've been so lucky. And I believe it's because I see these opportunities and I'm like, well, then I might as well follow this. If this is an opportunity presenting itself to me, then who am I to slap the universe in the face and say, yeah. no, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. So my free will is my ability to be who I'm meant to be. Right. And I think that whether you fight it, that opportunity, fight your own path or not, that is who you're meant to be. Yeah. But I personally choose to be myself. And Can't Stop is this song about being yourself and coming to terms with the idea that I'm going to change the world so I might as well do it to the best of my ability. This is Can't Stop. I'm a loaded gun in social situations Getting passed around Never learned to leave much to imagination And I just can't stop And I'm not coming down till I turn myself around It's a matter of time And I just can't stop Cause I know if I do I'll be six feet underground
Okay, so that was Can't, Can't Stop. What is the name of the album? Uh, this is The Consequence album. Okay, Consequence. We'll have a couple more tracks from that album before we finish, little excerpts from it. And I'm interested in your whole free will thing that you mentioned to introduce Can't Stop because sure. free will is actually a thing that gets discussed a lot now by people like Sam Harris. And there's a, a very logical and interesting theory that says we don't have it. Right. That it's just chemicals that happen in our head. I I don't go quite that far. And I think what you said is interesting as well. I, my, my view on it is that we have a binary. There's the old story of the guy who used to flick a coin for every decision in his in his life. And, you know, yeah. I think it's a bit interesting as well. Yeah. We were confronted with issues and we have to make a decision to go left or right or, you know, on or off or yes or no or do or don't and all these kind right. of things. What's interesting about what you said is that when you have a higher purpose or goal or best self or ambition for yourself or what you look at yourself in the mirror and say this is the person i believe is the best me then all those decisions the binary ones can you know be actually evaluated within that right. context and you can make it it'll help you make a decision is that fair yeah absolutely it's like i like they just heard in the song the big hook is let me lose control i see so much more and i think that's a very important concept for people to grasp is that there is something greater than us. There's mm. so much more than just the individual. Mm. There's so much out of our control. True free will, we would be able to say, I don't like this. I don't like this aspect of the world. So I'm going to change it. Like right. it's different now. But you can't do that. You don't have that kind of power. You don't have control. And if you don't have that kind of control, then you don't have free will. But you can play your your part and that's really what this album is about is about playing your part because if everybody played their part then we would change well that's the thing everybody yeah. is playing their part yeah. whether they want to or not right. because that's what this world is is this perfect balance we, we don't have to go right into the next song but really i kind of skipped ahead a little bit too because the idea of the free will and playing your part becomes am i good or am i bad what is my part and you're playing a villain and that's why I'm playing villain because I think that's the most fun. I'm not religious, but I do believe in God. Okay. So you believe in a higher power. I believe in something it. greater than us yeah. because I think I would be foolish not to. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. So again, let's just go back now just to the chronology of the thing. You're, you, you're coming out of college with all these great studies under your belt. What happened? What happened then on your journey? So I left school. I graduated. Mm-hmm. Immediately, like I graduated on a Friday, I was working with Hollywood Records at the time, and they said, okay, here's what you're going to do. It's called the Summer Songwriting Challenge. Well, we want you to write 50 songs in three months. And I was like, done, I'll do it. I had no idea what I was saying. Like, at the this time... This Disney, was it? Yeah, well, right. so, so what I was doing was they were looking for a hit, and they wanted me... What I was doing, I was writing specifically for Radio Disney, because I had recently, while I was in mm. school... I had a song, I had a single on Radio Disney in regular rotation, which is why I taught myself how to animate. I made a exclusive lyric video just for Disney. And so you can see the symphony lyric video on Disney.com still today. And it's, uh, I was trying to recreate that because that was massive for my career, my reputation, my credibility. Was that Disney cracking a kind of a slave whip and trying to get a whole bunch of people just to churn out? 
lots of songs for little pay and see if they could get they're it. all my songs you know you still own them. Yeah, I st- they're all mine and it really it really wasn't i was under no contracts these oh. were were they paying working, you though no no okay. i was working with people who believed in me and they okay. were and they said uh we just need the right song to get you the right opportunity and they got me opportunities like opening for andy grammer and we the kings and jordan fisher and all these uh, artists affiliated with Disney Music yeah, Group. Okay. And they really built me up to the point where I could come over to Ireland. But at the time, there were like 50 songs in three months. And I was like, okay, I actually ended up writing 25 songs. Right. It was really more for like the publicity stunt because it was, I put it all on social media and I was like, all right, song number one done, 49 to go, you know. Was it just the lyrics or was it the whole... Oh, I was producing the demos and everything. Okay, so songs that were actually recorded. Recorded wow. songs, okay. yeah. And so I was actually very limited at the time because my studio, I have a small room in my basement, so my studio, and uh, I didn't have any equipment. I had Logic. I didn't invest in plugins. I didn't invest in hardware, nothing. So my demos were sounding... Very rough. Yeah. yeah, very small. After this thing ended and, you know, I completed it, I actually had a handful of really cool songs. Yeah. I recorded a couple of them with other producers and working with those producers, younger producers, yeah. which was the key, uh, seeing what they were using, what tools they were using. I did my own my own research and invested in a couple key instruments like mm. trillion bass module and the native instruments uh right. ultimate package and the stuff that i can make with just those and with a basic knowledge of compression and eq yeah. and all that my demos are now like through the roof right. i to the point where i'm actually producing donovan records uh re-records of donovan songs that uh his daughter is performing she's singing them and i'm reimagining these records as dream pop or punk rock and i'm actually being asked to produce now which is that means so much to me because it's something i struggled with you're all self-taught yeah that i'm self-taught so exactly so i had chris zane on the uh, podcast recently he's a very famous um, new york producer Mm -hmm. he was it was interesting his his take on it because he's a bit uh jaundiced about things as well because he he believes that we need to go back to Put a microphone in front of the guy and let him sing or girl or put a microphone in front of the guitar and not overproduce yeah. everything and and the instinct of the producer the the thing that's in your brain or in your head yeah is far more superior to what's in the banks of equipment that you have and what you can play with you know absolutely it's got to be a careful balance because you have to fit in with the sound of today you have to have the clean sharp powerful and it's all about really compression and using the best recording techniques possible but so the songs to, let me to stop you on that one just the songs of today yes right? so i mean one of the things i i'm 50 now and uh you know when i think back to my upbringing in the 80s right before you were born I was living through it it was actually great yeah, and and then the '90s, everyone thought the '80s was cheesy, and the 2000s, everyone thought the '80s was great. The 2000s were so bad, but we end up in a situation now where I can talk about my teenage years. Uh, I can talk about a soundtrack to them. You know, being yeah. Irish, I can talk about U2, a lot of other Irish bands that were coming out. I can talk about Blondie and Fleetwood Mac, and just the just these these bands that were globe spanning. 
and they were the actual soundtrack of the planet. And right. really right now, when I think about the soundtrack of the planet, I think about X Factor and I think about, I, I think about a shallow, I don't, I don't feel depth in, in music. Is that fair right. or what would you say about it? Cause oh, absolutely. Music is being mass produced right now and I see it. A lot of the experience that I've seen uh, firsthand is what they do is have producers make beats they send it out to everybody and everybody top lines it. And they're like, we like that bit. We like that bit. And they mass produce these songs that I, in a sense, it's still art and it is collaboration. And I do love collaboration, mm. but on that level, it just, yeah. it's disingenuine. Yeah. Right. And, and that's really always like, I've, I think that was one of the most, the things I struggled with the most while working with Disney music group was, uh, I need to make these songs genuine and honest to yeah. me because I was freaking out. I was depressed about it. I was like, this does not sound like me. I had the song that I had written and I heard it in my head one way and I would let a Disney producer produce it, make it come to life. And that's actually what I mentioned before. It was this specific song. I was like, symphony. I wrote that when I was very young. I wrote it when I was 16. It was one of the first songs I wrote. I have a line about you. It's... it's uh paying to a girl right you said i'm not gonna write your song i write your symphony it's beautiful yeah, idea. It's that's, really nice. thank you yeah no i uh it's funny because uh, the story behind it is i met a girl when i was 16 we didn't even kiss or anything like we held hands while watching the boy in striped pajamas Aww. and i was like in love because i was 16 <laughs> and you know i was smitten and uh we stayed in touch a little bit afterwards and i wrote her a song because yeah. she wanted a song so I wrote her the song when I was 16, and then, you know, when I was 20, 19, 20 years old, yeah. recorded it with, professionally, and it just sounded, it, it was funny because they were like, we want you to sound like radio pop today, top 40 hits, listen yeah. to radio top top 40, that's all you're allowed to listen to, and now that's all I can, like, if I listen to anything else, I'm like, oh, it's not as exciting, but they ruined me as an artist. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I've been getting back into my roots and yeah. that's really what Ireland has been the biggest thing I'm I'm so grateful for Ireland bringing me back to where I, I started you, well, I mean, come to that because I love, yeah. I love that you did it first of all because yeah I told you I went off traveling and, and you know it's it's very hard for people actually the thing I, I and this is maybe something that you might enjoy I mean me looking back a lot of people who listen to the show always say, well, "What? What? What's the thing that you would? Say, what's the thing that you would say back to your younger self?" That's a question right. I ask people. Is that the sort of the scary, the scarier the thing that was presented in front of me, yeah. the more terrified I was. Those ones that I did were the most important. You know, the things that said, I can't do that. It'll not work. You know, even even up till recently, quitting the ad business at a at a, at a fairly senior level. When everyone's going, what are you doing? You're making the most money you can make. I'm like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't like it anymore. And so yeah, we only have one trip around. One person said to me, we only have thirty summers left. You have a lot more, but like you know. But that's know, a crazy but, way to yeah. Wow. And I was like, and she said, we have thirty summers left. We only think about how many we have left when we have fifteen left, and the last five are probably going to be shit. Right, and I was forty-seven when I heard that. Man, and I went. Should I be working nine to five selling nappies? Yeah. And razor blades? Or could I be doing something else in my life? And that's kind of where I went with it. Give us your second song. Let's do that. Second song. So uh, kind of touched on it was this idea of good and bad and your effect on the world. 
And I mean, what you just said, it's like that, that was you following your path. Yeah. That was you being yourself. So that's you exercising that free will and your impact on the world because of that. Is it good or bad is irrelevant almost mm-hmm. because it's justified to you. It's yeah. justified to your own perspective, your own experience. Mm-hmm. That's what the song is about. It's called Justified. Can I tell you this? It's actually funny because originally I wrote that song about a strong, independent woman who knows what she wants in the bedroom. And so there was originally like whip sound effects and right. stuff. But uh, <laughs> but I worked with Danny Saber on this song. He reproduced the whole thing from my demo. Like he brought this whole life to the song. It's amazing. What it means to me is anything is just, it's all justified. You don't have to think about what you want the fact that you want it the fact that you have the desire that's justified in and of itself you don't okay, have to but does selfishness nullify things sometimes i mean because I, I hear what you're saying that, yeah you know I've, I've i'm going to go for it i'm going to do it and i'm going to achieve it but there is there there that has to be done in in a in a way that's kind you know that's that, of course that doesn't 
stamp on other people. And so there's a balance, you know, mm. there's definitely a balance. And I believe in this balance. And I don't even believe that there's a center to the balance. I think that it's just the spectrum. And that's we'll get into that because that's really the idea about double time. Which is the next song. Which is our next, which is the third song on the album. So the the other thing is things are happening quickly for you. You're now emerging at, I guess, what, 1920 with, you know, you know a little about an awful lot. And you know a lot about certain things and that's being blossomed. But also your, the sort of other ancillary things that you study, business, advertising, graphic design is all coming into play in all the the stuff that you're doing. Talk to me about two things. One, how you felt and did you think... I'm making it, I'm about to make it. And how did you keep yourself grounded? It's so weird because there are days where I'll write a song, moments really, where I'll, where I'll have a piece of art in front of me that I've just created. And I have no idea where it came from. Hmm. It just happened. I'm like, this is special. This People need to hear this. This sounds to me like something that will be remembered. And then, you know, I go out and I listen to other people's music. I'm like, I will never be that good. It's this constant struggle where it's like this back and forth where I'm just trying to make the best that I can and it almost doesn't even matter what I think of it if I can just get people to hear it. I just want people to hear it and tell me what they think about it because yes, I need the validation. Yes, I need my ego to be Mm -hmm. stroked a little bit, but these ideas... I don't need you to agree with me. I just need you to think about it because that was really one of the hardest things for me to come to terms with. And that's what the song Justified really captures that emotion for me is my second year of university. I'm staring in the mirror, looking at myself, so unhappy and I don't know why. Can you put <laughs> your finger on why you think you were unhappy now looking back those few years? That, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. Yeah, I was um, I was making music that I wasn't proud of. I was dealing with people who I didn't like. Right. People were letting me down and people were using me and taking advantage of me. I was dealing with two lives, really, because I was working with Disney while I was in school. So I would, and I was overloading every semester. So I would have 20 credits a semester against my advisor's recommendation because advice because uh you're only supposed to have like 16 or 18 Mm -hmm. and i was like i want to get all of this done in four years and then i'm out of here because i've got places to go and i wanted to drop out of college but i wasn't gonna let my parents my family would not support me unless i graduated and so i was like well if i'm gonna be here i'm gonna do it but probably good you did Oh, oh, and so I really want to advocate for that. that. Yeah, Yeah. I think graduating college was the best thing I ever did with my life to date. Until, you know, I donate millions of dollars to a charity, I will stand by that because... Well, let's just segue there because you, you, since you brought it up, you you also were responsible for Pathways for Exceptional Children. Tell me a little bit about how you got involved with that and what that is yeah i've been working i've been working with uh special needs children my whole life influenced greatly by my mother right my parents are both very charitable people they very generous and very giving because they work very hard and have been able to provide me and my sister with a very blessed life uh in the sense that if we see an opportunity we're going to pursue it and they're going to make sure it happens. Yeah. 
since I can remember, I've been working with special needs kids, mostly autistic children. That's such an amazing experience because I don't think that autistic kids are handicapped in any way. Mm. I think that we're the ones who are yeah. handicapped and we can't understand. It's, the, it's the, some of the most unbelievable talent that you can ever imagine. And they're just so in touch. And, and this is why, because a big part of where we just came from topically was I was upset because people were just letting me down and their society is just shit. That's what they don't perceive. They don't pick up on social cues, which is just a construct, which is not a real thing. Yeah. They only pick up on reality. And there are these little nuances like that just mean nothing to them because they actually mean nothing. Yeah. And that is and like, and we get all worked up about it. And it is like the most beautiful, pure thing. And so seeing these kids, what I did was I started a rock band for these kids because music is one of their many gifts. A lot of, a lot of autistic children have a special talent for music. Yeah. It, it was one of the most rewarding experiences in my life. I, was able to be a part of the first inclusive rock band in the country, which is special needs and non-special needs children in a rock band together. We would just play all these songs. I wrote a song for the band because their slogan is Include Me. So I wrote a song called Include Me. And I worked all their little slogans and phrases in there. And there was a big chorus that everybody sings. It's, I can, I do anything and everything that I've ever wanted to. And having... 20 kids on stage singing that together yeah. was surreal. It was a transcendent experience. It was unbelievable. You know, you leave for four years to go to university, you come back and nobody remembers you because that's their <laughs> that attention span. No, that right. Totally you know what? It's funny because there's like one kid I really connected with, two kids I really connected with, mm-hmm. and they did remember me, okay. which was really because it's that's difficult for them. Of course. And so that was like unbelievable. So you're going to still be a part of their life and, you know, help where they can as a mentor kind of thing? Always, you know, it's based out of my hometown. Right. So I'll always have a connection to them and I'll always be able to be present. We'll have a link to Pathways for Exceptional Children at the blurb of the podcast. Go check it out. I presume they're like any charity looking for donations and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So feel free to give, please. A lot of the things that's going on in your life at such an early age is You've chunked things, and they're all. I, I sometimes think about a library, a bookshelf, right? Yeah. And as we go through life, we read books, we learn things, we put them on the shelf, and we remember that that's why that's books on the shelf. A lot of your books are on the shelf before fame has hit you big time. Do you know what I mean? Like grounding, yeah. working with charity, understanding that whatever you, how lucky your childhood right. was, even though you had some terrible things happen. Sure. You know, having a supportive family that you believe in and. I've seen a lot of people who've had to go and hit a wall. You know, you talked about getting... Before they find God. Before they they said, I should do more work for charity. Before I should quit advertising or whatever. Sure. And so I think the grounding that you have just from us talking together is is very unique, you know. And there's a maturity that's beyond your years, which, again, a couple of people I have spoken to, Louise Bleach most recently... There are these people out there. They've, like I often ask people, do you, did you always feel different from your friends? Yeah. You know, a lot of them say, yeah. Oh, well, what, tell me why. It's, did your friends feel you were different from them? My friends, I think, on a subconscious level, resent me for being different. Mm. 
I never fit in and every year of high school had a different group of friends because my friends would just stop hanging out with me. And it was because I think my family life, my sister's my best friend and I love my family like uh, like you wouldn't believe. And I rarely find other people with similar values and similar background, like a similar passion for education and a similar... And don't get me wrong, I think our education system in America needs a lot of work. And I've become more passionate about history in the last two years. And I've learned more about history in the last two years than I did my entire 12 years in public school. Why is that? Well, musicology. Okay. History of music. History of music. But yeah, studying the musicology. And I would love to talk about that too. But that will digress far if we get into that one. (laughs) But uh, give us the summary of it. We're on it now. Uh, Musicology is... History is great because it's facts and it's tells you, you know, it's written by the victor and, you know, all that. But it's uh, it's facts and it's what where we came from. But musicology, the music of the time, tells you how people were feeling and why a lot of these things happened. Mm. And it gives you insight into the people. That's you go honest. back to the classics and Baroque period and Beethoven and Chopin. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so that right. was part of my education right. in See, Miami. That's another thing, you know. <laughs> it's, I, yeah, it's it's an amazing program yeah. they have out there. They take you from Baroque all the way yeah. to modern pop. Yeah, yeah. And if you really want to learn, the things that you pick up are just like, you leave that classroom and you're like seeing the world another way. That mentality, that concept is my greatest influence in writing music because I like to think of my music as a timestamp on today. Everything, it's not, you know, money, drugs, sex, weed, like whatever. It's free will and good and bad and what's going on today and social media and this need to be loved and how it's amplified by social media and... The hierarchy of needs that we live by that you, I'm sure, are very familiar with because yeah. of advertising. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's one of the most incredible. The Maslow's hierarchy, yeah, I think, is yeah. one of the most incredible so, tools. Yeah. We'll segue for a minute because you're, you know, you probably had your post, but you're, I guess, millennial or whatever. Yeah, I'm generation. like just on the back yeah, end of yeah, millennial. But, you know, I don't. I hate using those fucking words. They're advertising uh, people. Yeah, exactly. That. But, you know, you you represent, you, you, you talk about your desire to represent the integrity of the moment and the integrity of what music can be in this moment. You've just come out of America. America is, and it's not just Trump. I mean, I think it's been driving itself into a swamp for 20 years. Absolutely. What is the view, like, and and, and going, and, you know, let's, let's include your comment earlier about, you know, having choices to make and making sure that we individually decide the right choice. And if we all did it, we'd probably move, but we can't individually. Where do you where do you see your country now? You're the next generation. It's gonna yeah. you're gonna have, your generation's gonna have to fix this mess up. Yeah, it's funny because like I said before, I I've never really felt like I fit in. Whenever government is involved, I feel like an outsider because, first of all, I do think that every government around the world, they're all doing the same thing, just in a different way, and they're all just trying to control the people, and it's. For better or for worse, because there there are a lot of people out there who I don't agree with, and who am I to say that they're wrong because their perspective is justified to them? Sure. I don't think that they should be running our country. 
I think the biggest thing for my generation to come in and clean up this mess mm. is oh shit like is to really put government in perspective and realize that as an individual one of the best parts about being an american citizen is the ability that you have to speak your mind and to actually get people who are like-minded behind you and create a community of people who agree with you because in a sense trying to force a common idea especially in america you have this ability to create your own community they even down to the state let you dictate a lot of your own laws and if you have a perspective or have a point of view social media you can find people with the same ideas yeah. and the same beliefs and when you spoke about the silver lining element to your own work i do believe there's a silver lining to donald trump because i think that one thing he has done is he's frightened the bejeekers out of not just america but the world yeah and shown how kind of easy it is you know we talk about earlier about being top of mind and fame i mean right. one of the reasons he got elected was because everyone knew him You're exactly you know, he's familiar his yeah hair and his you know his stupid show the apprentice yeah america is going huh and and you know you're right there are lots of people in america who think he's doing a great job you know to oh, the point yeah. where he might even get elected again i hope not but wow. you know at least what i feel your what your point is is that like we had earlier this year the school walkouts over the gun issue. I mean, the gun issue is not like everyone over the world is just like, oh, really, America, really? At what point are you going to do something? Right, because it's just it's constant. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous, yeah. And this is like our normal. Like, yeah. this is like our, we've I become know. so used to it. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Well, we saw that, that earlier in the year there was the, the, the terrible tragedy in Toronto where the guy drove the van down uh, Young Street. Oh, yeah. And the cop, one cop with a gun, and this guy was cray-cray, and he was pretending he had a gun, and the guy didn't shoot him. And he managed to, the one cop managed to take down the guy out of the van, handcuff him. He would have been shot dead with 15 bullets in it by American police oh, anywhere in the country. Not everyone would have gone, fair enough. But, like, you know, this whole idea that the youth has the inequality, climate control issues, all of these things, the threat of maybe nuclear war, the rise of Russia, all of these things hovering over our heads like sort of black clouds what is the silver line are you po- are you optimistic about the future of the world or pessimistic <laughs> i'm neutral you're neutral <laughs> it's probably a good place to be you get rid of one evil and another will arise there will always be evil there will always be evil yeah. and the world is just too big there's i mean there are definitely things that we can do to solve these great great problems mm. and i think at the root of that is just understanding yeah. and being able to see somebody else's point of view so look let's let's do the the third track from your album introduce that and we'll we'll then yeah. play the last one on the way out perfect so this third track is called double time and it's about really how you'll never get rid of an evil evil will always exist in some form and evil is what it's just an opposing point of view. Good and bad is not black and white. It's the spectrum that people, based on their experiences, they're just living their lives. They have to do what's best for them. And what you mentioned before, isn't that selfish to an extent? But 
to a certain extent, survival of the fittest, you know, like you have to, if you want to live, you have to do what's best for you. I will do what I have to do to have the best life that I can. Mm -hmm. And if I can help people along the way, then I will. But there's lots of people who don't. Of course there are, but they didn't have as blessed of an upbringing as I did. Well, you know, we have, you're in Dublin and you know, the Bono thing is, or, you know, Bono's kind of loved and hated here. Yeah. And he gets an awful ribbing and, you know, yeah, Bono, off you go with your big missions and agendas and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I always kind of tend to defend him because I go, Mick Jagger doesn't do anything like that. Right. Mick Jagger just sits there rolling. I mean, I'm sure he does, to be fair to Mick, in case you're listening. But, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, he, you know the image he's not is as he, public he's, about rolling, it. he's rolling around in his dosh, basically. Right. Bono is just using the fact that he is famous and he, I, I will see, I think I predict, you know, you will be a bit like that in future if you become, when you become big, because you have this grounding that I think Bono has, it says, and your mother and father, you know, when you talked about the, 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 the kindness that they showed to other people and how they introduced you to that, you know, people with disabilities early, you will have that thread in your DNA going all the way back no matter how successful or not you become. Well, I'm a very compassionate person, mm. but I'm like, don't, don't be misled. If I, any chair, like I feel like charity has a weird connotation. True. I will be an advocate for things that I believe in. And so if I'm helping further the cause for understanding autistic children, it's going to be because I think that they have something to contribute yeah. that we're not listening to. That could be considered selfish because I think it's important. (laughs) I think it's important. You might not agree, but I do. So I'm going to use my resources Mm. to. And so charity, just because I'm not looking for a monetary return doesn't mean I'm not getting anything out of it. This is double time.
Okay, that was double time. We're with Jared Dillon and we're coming to the end of our chat, but it was been it has been great. Jared Reese and I'm intrigued about this, recently moved to Ireland, to Dublin, lives not half a mile apparently from where I live. Why did you come to Ireland? It's because it's amazing. <laughs> was it calling to you? You know, it's funny. Like, again, it's opportunity presenting itself mm. and be having the support and the timing and everything just lining up so perfectly that I was like, yes, Ireland. There's so many things that have intrigued me about Ireland, like mm. the musicality of it, really. As a student of musicology, American music is yeah. greatly influenced by the bluegrass country. Yeah, exactly, yeah. which is really the heart and soul of bluegrass evolved into jazz yeah. and Afro-American music, which evolved into what we have now, yeah. singer-songwriter in pop music. Yeah. And this is funny because I was just talking about it with a co-writer, James Walsh, last week. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about how every single person in Ireland well, let me uh, start by saying anywhere else around the world, you're either a musician or you're not. You play music, you don't play music. Right. In Ireland, yeah, you have your musicians who go out and they perform. But when you pull a guitar out in a room, you just pass that guitar around yeah. and everybody knows their one song on yeah. the guitar. Everybody yeah, plays right. we, a song. We have a, we have a inculcation from when we were very little. I'm not sure whether it's as prevalent today, but certainly when I was growing up, you yeah. had to do your turn. And this this comes from... Um, you know, in, in the era before television and radio, um, we had uh, people called Shanaki storytellers, right? So they would they would be almost like tramps who would retain all the local knowledge of a region, and they would tramp the hills and dales of the country, and they would they would be like a, an event in a village. So one family would invite this guy in or girl, usually guys, and they would sit around the fire, and this guy would just tell stories or ghost stories and. And there'd be music there and dancing and, and that family would be very proud to be the ones hosting and everyone would come around and then your man would go off again. You know, he was like a traveling a traveling journey a traveler, storyteller, yeah. right? Yeah, that's Chanakee really cool. Means storyteller. Chanaki means storyteller. Chanaki, yeah. So Chanakee. we have all of this all the way back and the repression, right? So You're the right. repression of Britain, people picked up the pen instead of the gun. You know, people picked up music to celebrate fallen heroes. And so when you look at say us versus Scotland we're, we're, we're kind of similar people but we pound for pound and person for person have an awful lot more poets music people writers comedians than Scotland mm. does and that's because a huge amount of it is about the famine or the you know the rebellion or, the, or all this kind of stuff right yeah that's amazing so that exploring that idea mm. is a big part of why I'm here I'm actually working with Bob Geldof's production company, Sync Media, to put this documentary together, really exploring the songwriters and this culture of music and storytelling in Ireland as a complete outsider with no ties to Ireland, just someone who appreciates that. What were your first impressions when you got here? It's it's funny because as soon as I got here, I was welcomed immediately. I was Mm. so shocked. Everybody and everybody's like, why Ireland? I'm like, because yeah. everyone here plays music. Yeah. Your national symbol is a harp. Yeah. You know, your the symbol of Guinness is a harp. Yeah. It's like I'm following yeah. the harp. I'm doing I'm doing yeah, yeah. I'm taking the full tour and it's it's been because I'm a musician, I feel like I've been welcomed in a way. Yeah. It's been special. It's been 
it's brought me back to where I started, where it was just me and a guitar, picking that up and telling stories yeah. and singing from the heart, being so painfully genuine and honest that it. I'm glad that I had this experience because being in America and writing for pop mute for a pop outlet solely I could see that have taking a toll and sucking the life out of me 15 or 20 years doing that oh I'm, your life. I'm probably still about to blow 20 years doing it but at least I have <laughs> no, no, this I mean, now. on your yeah. terms now you're doing well, exactly I mean, now I'm doing it on my terms yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly exactly really and even, and the other thing I'd say to you I mean I, I looked at your I looked at your where you've played you're not the fancy Dan in from New Jersey who wants to play or you, you, you've gone and you've gone and seen under the grass of Ireland oh I'm playing more and you've played yeah. Sally Noggin and you've played in, in Galway oh yeah and you've done some work with Paddy Casey how did you find Paddy uh, well he was actually my first collaboration out here I got paired up with him we met up with at Grouse Lodge it was very famous studio yeah it's hooked up this writing session and it was actually pretty difficult because he doesn't write with he doesn't like to collaborate, no, Patty. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. He must have heard some music. Maybe he likes what he heard. Well, but... you know, if you look at Patty's chronology, he he was discovered around your age, and mm-hmm. same, you know, and he's 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 worked hard yards, and he and he probably sees a lot of that in you, as I see it in you. When you talk about pop music, and you referred earlier to the churning out element of it mm-hmm. and I, I call it the take that factor where there's you know where there's louis walsh and all these guys who are manufacturing bands oh you'd be good with him and her and right the, the integrity of the business seems to be just in flitters at the moment you've come over and again it goes back to a lot of the little things that you've done in your life you said no i'm going to learn and i'm going to do my hard yards and i'm going to roll up my sleeves like what what do you think ireland so far you, you haven't been here that long but Take your writing. What's what? What effect has this country had on your writing? So I said I mentioned before how I put like sarcasm and like little cheeky mm. turn of phrase, kind of as like a putting up a wall. So I'm vulnerable and I'm telling you actually how I feel, mm. but I'm being a little cheeky about it. So it's I'm not as vulnerable as I as just being naked out there. Yeah. Uh, being out here, the first song I wrote with Patty was like, I get like a pit in my stomach. Think like when I perform it because, because it's just so vulnerable. And I, I mean, it's, I love the song. I think it's yeah. one of the most amazing What's songs. Here I am. Okay. We put a link to that on the podcast as well. Oh uh, yeah. When it comes out, it it'll be, out. it'll be part of the soundtrack of this documentary. Okay, great. You're getting a kind of an Irish sheen on top of things, which I think will stand you in good stead. Because again, I think what you really seem to me to get even when you talk about this album that we're talking about today and it's it's a multimedia thing it's a concept thing it's a story it's not just another fucking here's two tracks and aren't they great Hmm. it's a journey and you want to go on you're playing a villain you're talking about issues to do with life and free will and all this stuff not many people do that you know and also you're just getting this maturity at a very young age which is understanding that you need to do x y and z and you need to it's almost like the Malcolm Gladwell of 10,000 hours. You can't become unless you know what you shouldn't be. You know right. I mean, as well. So you need to know. You, you seem to understand this. So the other thing that we have is, you're, you're right, we have all this music going on in this country. And the musicians that are here that you're bumping into are very jaded because of the fact that 
it's it's almost impossible to make money here, right? That's why most of the musicians here would give their right arm to go over to New Jersey. Right, yeah. You know, it's 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 hard because people aren't buying albums anymore. The right. venues, there's so many of them, you know, that they're they don't pack out. It's hard to you know. What are your predictions if there if you have any of where you see the industry going? Because it's now it's become it's becoming performance yeah industry again, which is good if you like live live gigs. But. The money in music is gonna be in licensing yeah. and merchandising. I think you're always gonna need music. Just always have it. It's such an important part of just being, especially Ireland's a very small territory. Mm. If you're just gonna work around here you're not gonna really be able to support yourself unless you're licensing your music and unless you're writing songs that connect on a global level the money is gonna be in licensing and live performance if you can draw a crowd that's how you'll be able to support yourself that's what i'm focusing on at least because i'm not trying to sell records i'm not trying to i mean don't get me wrong go buy my record but uh (laughs) Uh, but no, I'm not. It. I'm not relying on that because yeah. it's unrealistic, especially with technology the way it is. Where would you, if you're like you're 23, where, where would you like to see yourself at 33? 33, I would like to be three or four albums deep and have started my own fashion line, my own Netflix original. Hey Netflix, <laughs> don't don't upset me. I might switch to Hulu. Um, <laughs> but I've got ideas for yeah. uh, I've got ideas for a sitcom. I've got ideas for a something I think would actually be really cool if like HBO picked it up. Like I have a lot of sci-fi ideas. I've got a lot of comedy ideas for screenplay. You're into acting as well. Yeah, I'm into acting. I'm into I'm a producer. I, yeah, I'm a producer. I I've been doing visual art my whole life, mm. from painting and sculpting to music and acting mm. and. Before we finish, what would you say to? I mean, again, you're you're really only on the start of your journey, but you have got. There's a, a good quote you might like, which is: "We a lot of us spend years climbing up a ladder, only to look over our shoulder and realize it's been resting against the wrong the wrong wall." Yeah, which is good if you think about it. But you are on the rungs. What would you say to a? You know, a lot of your fans will be listening to this. I'm sure. What would you say to like a kid? You know, who's who's 16 or 15, who hopefully doesn't have Lyme disease, but you know, who's in a who does feel different, yeah. um, who does think that they have something to contribute, what would your advice be to them? I'll, I'll try and make it very brief. Mm. Three main points, three of the most important points I think I've picked up. You can't do it alone. Learn the business. As hard as that can be as an artist, business. It's mm. running the world. And don't be afraid to self-promote because networking is everything. There we go. That was Jared Dillon. Jared, play us out. Speaking to your last point about self-promotion, let's finish with yeah. the last track. We play this one in its entirety. The last track is just about having a good old time. <laughs> What's Enjoy- the name of it? It's called Party Goes All Night. <laughs> Jared Dillon, thanks a million for being on a pint with Shawnee B. Best of luck with your career. I'm, Thank I, you so I much. feel privileged to be having this interview with you because I think... When I'm dead and gone, you'll be a big a big deal. Well, I hope it doesn't take that long. <laughs> Hopefully I still have 30 summers left. 30 now. summers, right? Look I after hope it, yourself, yeah. dude. <laughs> All right, thank you very and much. Enjoy Ireland. Yeah. See you. Original room, I'm taking you down to the party. Turn up the music. You know why? It's a party time. It's going down. 
Telling everyone I know Filling up my house With the best available We get numb in the cranium Dumb in the brainium Girls hotter than uranium Party goes. 